0: Welcome back to Avanti Security Insights, where best practice cybersecurity meets real world workplaces and roadblocks. I'm Ashley Stryker, cybersecurity content manager extraordinaire, and I'm joined by OG host with the most, a VP of Endpoint Security Product Management, Chris Gettle. Chris, hi.
1: Hey, Ashley, how's it going?
0: Good. I'm still recovering from the existential crisis triggered by our generative AI for InfoSec and Hackers webinar.
1: All hail our AI overlords.
0: Hail Basilisk, but God, I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) die.
1: Oh, come on. Like, we we haven't had that world-ending moment yet, but usually they happen a few years out. Once we start seeing time-traveling freedom fighters coming back and trying to save people, then we should panic.
0: You know what? I've decided if I can't do anything... Uh, it's one of those like control what you can and just release what you can't. And since I can't control anything with AI, including yep. polymorphic malware and people pretending to be me, I might as well enjoy the YouTube channels that I have just recently discovered who have deep faked Trump, Obama and Biden to play video games, particularly Five Nights at Freddy's. Sweet. And it's, it makes me happy. <laughs>
1: AI is certainly being beneficial to some people,
0: yes, which is our actually, topic for today. Uh, in an indirect way, yeah. So one of the scraps that made the editing room floor, because that we had a lot we could have talked about, genuinely, yes. was allegations that regular employees were using chat GPT to facilitate something called overemployment. There is a great article on Vice about it. And we scrapped that particular topic for the webinar for a variety of reasons, but people are using generative AI to further their overemployed because one daytime job isn't enough ambitions. And I don't know, for me, it got me thinking about this feels like a not great thing for companies. So I wanted to bat it around with Chris as a fun thought exercise. I think we, what was the, we were, we decided on a framework for today for, is it a problem? Right. Is this actually happening? Yep. Is this a security problem? And if it is, should you do anything about it? Slash, and if you choose you do to about do about anything
1: it? about it, what would you try to do about it? Yep, absolutely. So, so starting with what exactly is it? Cause I think you could confuse this very easily. This is not somebody working a day job and then working a night shift part-time job. Right. That's not what we're talking about here right? So overemployed means you are working two jobs or more. Some of the yeah. posts and things are people talking about <laughs> J3, J4. So <laughs> J1, 2, 3, 4, meaning job 1, 2, three, four. One, two three, four. This is people who are working jobs that overlap time-wise in your day to the point where you're literally putting part time into both of them or more. And um, they
0: think it's a full-time kind right. of thing. They think you're I-
1: employed full-time with them.
0: See, when I first heard about this, and this was a year or two ago, in the middle of the pandemic, this kind of started bubbling up this whole idea of overemployment, yeah. though I know it's been a thing for years and years, I thought people were just mistaking having gig work or part-time freelance project kind of work in addition to this sort of thing. But then I joined at Avanti, and last fall, we were talking about the Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and out of nowhere, one of my favorite coworkers, Chris aside... Robert Waters, who is one of our product marketing managers here at Avanti, just comes out with, yeah, I know somebody who was overemployed. And the entire 20 people on the call just hush and go, wait. He said, yeah, my company had no idea about this guy who was worked in IT. He was remote like we all were, worked in IT, and they eventually found out the guy was overemployed when the FBI raided his house because he tried to go on the dark net to hire an assassin to kill his wife. And that was when both companies found out he was overemployed.
1: A little bit of an extreme case of how oh, you find yeah. out, but yes, that mm-hmm. that was definitely a funny one. So, my first encounter yeah. with somebody who was clearly doing this was actually over 15 years ago. This was really? back in my early days of working in support, and one of my coworkers, uh we we all everybody in the group knew that he was doing this. But basically, he was working phone support alongside us and he would have another inbox that he would flip back and forth between and be working this other job that he would predominantly be working via email and then he would occasionally have to step out for a smoke and what he was doing was really (laughs) stepping into one of the stairwells that nobody used because we were on a fourth floor building and that was the corner that nobody went up and down even if they did walk the stairs he Mm -hmm. would go into that stairwell and take calls when it was urgent. But he was working tech support for another company as well, <gasps> simultaneously. So that and was he, my he first encounter. he you guys? No, he didn't tell us. But we all he knew because figured. he was just that bad at hiding it from us. <laughs> so then
0: what happened?
1: Nothing. The guy just kept doing it, you know.
0: Wow. So okay.
1: It, a lot of times, it's one of those things where, and I was even looking at a recent post. It was on Let's see, which one was it? It was the overemployed.com. They have a post that they did in November of last year talking about the five most (laughs) OE-friendly super jobs. (laughs) Tech support was absolutely one of them. So data engineer, data administrator, data analyst, that was job number one on the list. That was super job number one, most easy to OE. Second on the list was software, keyway, or test automation.
0: Oh, my yep. husband would have a very harsh word with anyone who thinks they can just plug and play automation cuz We'll it's... come
1: back to that. Yep, we'll <laughs> come back to that. The third one, system administrator or technical support, not surprising again. I knew right. most of my encounters have been with somebody in more of an administrator, tech support type role than uh, when they've been doing that. Cloud engineer or DevOps. Oh. yeah.
0: Again. That seems a little intense, but okay.
1: Yep. Number five on the list is software engineer, product manager, UX designer. So shifting gears, is this something that has been around for a while? Yes, absolutely. I would say three out of the four examples that I've run into in my career were pre-COVID, pre-remote work being so common. Has it potentially become easier for somebody to pull off an OE situation? Probably. Remote work gives you the opportunity to do that. So let's talk about two things. Let's talk about the security implications. This is really what I think our audience cares about here today is. Definitely, yeah. What, why should we care about this? Yeah, if somebody's doing this, kudos to them if they can pull it off, whatever. (laughs) Honestly, like I could not see being able to do that. Like the amount of stuff that I have to do on a daily basis, people would know if Chris is absent. It's just not going to be something that I could pull off easily. Security-wise, what should we be concerned about? There are examples of people outsourcing that second job or third job to a low-cost center. Hey, if I can just take on this work, outsource it to a low-cost center where I can then scrape 30% off the top for me doing nothing more than basically managing people, great. Right. But what that does is it introduces a supply chain risk. I now have a basically an invisible third party somewhere in my supply chain with access to my tech potentially checking in code what else could they be doing in there they could be a the security angle that lets somebody into the environment or they could be accidentally putting code in or deliberately putting code in that's potentially a risk to the environment so there is a supply or, chain risk there
0: what about if you outsource so let's take our test automation engineer for an example yep and you ask somebody else to write the automation scripts that you're then going to then run and report on with your dashboard as part of your overemployment thing. Part of automating tests, the reason it's an inside job, it's an in-house job frequently, is because you need to understand proprietary pre-market tech right. in order to write the scripts that can test for all of the different edge cases that you're looking for. And what would happen if you get one of those people or you decide as part of your overemployment, you're directly going to use chat GPT or one of those other generative exercises to try and generate and check your code. You already, we just sucks in the webinar, you've got Samsung and Amazon both seeing proprietary code being generated because people were putting it into the model and right. the model consumes and eats and processes and learns based on recent and historic inputs. But then that so information
1: you, is now a part of that model and out there for other people to get access to. So absolutely, I think the increase of AI in in the workplace presents a new security angle, which is a way that a lot of these people are going to make themselves more productive in their OET one through fours or J one through fours (laughs) is by augmenting what they're doing with generative AI whether it's generating code, generating copy material, creative material, whatever the case may be, they may be augmenting what they're doing by putting a lot of additional use on generative AI for that. So with that. Oh,
0: but then at that point, is it really an overemployment concern or is it more of a concern of shadow IT, right? Because it's the same concern you have with ordinary employees at your workplace using an unauthorized, unlocked down generative AI program. And it's at that point, is it an overemployment problem or is it really a shadow IT disguised as an overemployment problem?
1: I think both of those use cases have the same kind of fundamental risk. Somebody who's just trying to augment what they're doing in the one job that they've got versus somebody who's trying to augment each of their roles to make it look like they're doing more so that they can work multiple jobs the fundamental underlying issue is the same. You've got a risk being exposed because people are utilizing a tool like that. Now, uh, whether it's outsourcing to a third party and that code Mm -hmm. is now in the hands of a unknown quantity, somebody that shouldn't have access does, somebody has that IP and that that could be an IP issue. It could be a potential injection of malicious code. It could just be a security liability where that person's environment could be the way that somebody gets in. Any one of those could be a security risk there. But yes, you're right. They overlap and the, the, it gets to be a very gray area. GPT aside, the security <laughs> risks of having potential people with additional access into that becomes a problem. So, so then,
0: is it a big problem, though? OK, so this is where I know that you and I were having a small debate prior to recording about this. Right. Is there is clearly it happens in the workplace to some extent unknown. There are risks associated with it to some extent. Is this a risk worth remediating from a business perspective? And how do you tell?
1: I think it's a risk that organizations have to understand. It's not too dissimilar from similar risks like that. So in figuring out, yes, there's a quantifiable risk. If somebody is in, if you have employees who are doing OE gigs, each of those additional jobs is a potential risk to each of the employers, right. right? I think it really comes into the, how do you start to enforce this? And it could be, again, some overlapping things. So you could be doing things like, hey, we're going to put some policies in place saying you can't use open AI or chat GPT or different tools like that and push certain types of material through it. Just not allowed, right? Uh, investing in a paid for privatized generative AI platform might be the way to mitigate some of those risks. Right. I think the more you step into this though, think about the ways that you would keep people from being able to sustain an OE type model for very long. And think of that as if you have somebody doing that, they are posing a risk, whether it's a risk to just bad productivity, a risk to security, a risk to IP. What if that person is working for you and one of your competitors? They know that's that might be the way they're pulling it off is they're very good at what they do. And if they're doing it for two competing vendors, they the domain mm. knowledge is the same, so their job is easier for both sides. And, so all of those things could be a problem there. So if I wanted to crack down on OE-type situations, you could do things like, yeah, people need to come into the office. If they're right. in the office, they're going to have a harder, t- harder time hiding things.
0: Not um, impossible, not allegedly, impossible.
1: Nope. but harder. Yeah, exactly. So again, like I said, we had somebody doing that in the team that I worked in 15 plus years ago here, and he was doing it for several years and all of us knew he was doing it. And maybe Ray. Yep. So the other thing is your, your managers and employment or your performance reviews. This is a probably a good way to keep an eye on this as well making sure that your managers are taking enough of a vested interest in the performance of their employees. And when they've got lower performers, really start to investigate quickly and put them on a performance plan if that is a continuing kind of problem. The starting to do other things like, hey, if you are doing remote work, you need to be on camera. That makes it a little bit harder for people to be completely disconnected. Although, how many times are you on a meeting and half the people are
0: hey, looking or over? You at, end up, you end up with you get into also ableism and accommodation problems too with being on camera and access and all of that yeah. kind of. So it sounds then there's you could just lock everything down and not let people go on the internet. There's programs that forbid extrofation like like, that is an actual security tool where you forbid contact to the internet
1: to avoid exfiltration but that's extreme that's the tipping point and that's where i think a lot of people are going to have to assess the the risk to their environment versus what type of enforcement they're willing to go to because here's where you start to drive a potential level of corporate culture that you may not want to cultivate so right. getting into the, you always have to be in the office. You must be on your work machine only and other things like access to browsing any non-work email, like you can't get G- to Gmail. You can't get to whatever other email alternatives somebody might have. You could lock down social media. You could lock down uh, all sorts of things like that. You could put tools on there to be able to observe your users, your employees. You Whew. start to get very big brotherish. And is that a culture that you want to drive? Or do you want to, again, in looking at a lot of the people who are doing this, these are not your typical top performer types. Is this a case where most of those organizations are dealing with the fact that they are, they're not managing employees well, and that's the number one way that they could probably be Identifying these types of cases sooner, maybe in a lot of the cases that I've been reading, those are definitely people who are abusing either their manager's ability to observe everybody's work performance, not observe like in their computers, observe, but literally yeah. more of the hype of the high level. I know that my team is engaged. Producing, I'm getting good working. feedback from other teams about their performance. They're not just an empty chair, right? right. So I think there's a tipping point in there that gets to the point where it gets really hard to try to enforce this. So,
0: I think what to sum up and wrap up then. This is a really nice example of a uh, an internal stakeholder or you hear about something in the news, you take a moment and think about the security ramifications, which is not frequently talked about for overemployment, right? You take a moment, even 30 seconds, to just try and think through the logic that you just went through, Chris, of all the different ways this could possibly be a risk. And then you have to step back and take a moment to say, is this a risk worth remediating and fixing? Because technically you can. Yep. But is the business better served by choosing, deliberately choosing not to address this overtly? And plus, if you do choose to address it, a lot of this is going to be policy, it's not going to be a security tool, it's not going to be a whiz bang platform, it's going to be the kind of company you want to be, and the kind of company and your company culture, and how easy you make someone's job, and how pleasant and nice and well compensated you make your employees is going to have a direct impact on how secure your company is. And so you might make a very valid security-based decision that you are choosing not to do something more active to fix a known security potential
1: flaw. And the types of the organizations out there are definitely gonna have a difference on that. If you're a three-letter acronym agency, you're probably gonna crack down on this with all the security measures. (laughs) If you're an e-commerce site, there, there might not be as much of an ability to crack down on things like that because it's going to drive a different level of culture than you want to drive, so it'll vary. But I think it is one of those things that it's a rising challenge. There's the, the shift to remote work has definitely enabled this type of behavior even more. There's entire websites and subreddits <laughs> dedicated to OE at this point,
0: and it needs grifters, to be. I would argue.
1: So it's a challenge that organizations need to think about the security ramifications from and decide what level of action are they going to take? Is it going to be more of a cultural and policy-based action? Or are they in a situation where they do need to take a deeper level of security control type implementation and forced in office or other situations like that? Yep.
0: I think that is a great place to wrap today. So thank you, Chris, so much for entertaining my random thought experiment. I have very odd tangent thoughts occasionally.
1: (laughs) For those of you who haven't watched enough episodes, Ashley goes home for the holidays and her family gets into conversations like this.
0: Yes, actually.
1: It does happen. Actually, if you remember, Um, I can't remember which episode, but there was an earlier episode, which was, hey, I was home for the holiday and this is what we talked about. Um, Yes, that
0: would be episode 28, I believe, cloud security. That was the one. I will link to it. And it (laughs) is, in fact, the most awkward introduction of all time, leading only shortly to the most awkward conclusion of all time, which is this one. So thank you so much for having a listen. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to continue today's conversation with someone or you have tried and you have more ideas about ways in which overemployment could be a security risk or better ideas on how to remediate, please join the conversation. You can find Ivanti at just about every major social media platform at GoIvanti. That's I-V-A-N-T-I. As always, the show notes will be included along with any links to resources in the surveys and Some very entertaining Reddit threads for your own perusal and assessment. And if you liked today's conversation, you thought it was interesting, fun, informative, made you think a little bit, you'd like to share it to your coworker who is currently switching to their other inbox tab, please do so. The more we get downloads, the more the algorithm likes us and the more who people who need to hear this message can actually do. So with that, we're signing off. Thank you so much again. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. Bye.